What if you were just one step away from your destiny? Would you take that step? What if that step was towards a lion? Would you still take the step? Do you have the courage that you need to live the life that God intended for you today? Or have you replaced courage with comfort? Have you replaced courage with complacency? What lion lives inside of you? The cowardly lion or the lion of Judah? So let's find out today. So this morning we're talking uh, on our Follow the Yellow Brick Road series, and this morning is the cowardly lion. Because the wicked flee when no one pursues, but the righteous are as bold as lions. So today we're going to focus on the lion thing. Let me ask you this. How bold is your lion inside of you today? Do you live boldly as a lion? And so there are three types of lions in your life that you can be. One is you can be a cowardly lion. Those that wish to do good but are frozen in fear and unable to move. That's a cowardly lion, one. Two, you can be a lion of Judah. Those of you who are sons and daughters of God and who live according to God's voice and not their own. That's what describes a lion of Judah. It's somebody that follows God and listens to him instead of their own cowardly inner voice that speaks to them. Or number three, you can be an enemy lion. Those that go around like a roaring lion seeking who they can devour. Okay? So those are the three types of lions that you can be. And I think in our lives, we will find that at certain times in our life, we can be all three. Sometimes we're the problem. Sometimes we're scared to fix the problem. And sometimes we come boldly to the problem solver. Okay? And so I want to show you this little clip of the cowardly lion. And we want to talk about number three, what an enemy lion looks like. If you want. I fight you with one poor tie behind my back. I fight you standing on one foot. I fight you with my eyes closed. Oh, pulling an axe on me, eh? Sneaking up on me, eh? Why? Here, here. Go away and let us alone. Oh, scared, huh? Afraid, huh? How long can you stay fresh in that can? <laughs> Come on, get up and fight, you shivering junkyard. Put your hands up, you lopsided bag of hay. Now, that's getting personal, Lion. Yes, get up and teach him a lesson. Well, what's wrong with you teaching him? Uh, well, well, I hardly know him. <coughs> well, I'll get you anyway, Pee-wee. <coughs> <coughs> Shame on you. What did you do that for? I didn't buy them. No, but you tried to. It's bad enough picking on a straw man, but when you go around picking on poor little dogs. Well, you didn't have to go and hit me, did you? 
Is my nose bleeding? <laughs> well, of course not. <laughs> my goodness, what a fuss you're making. <laughs> well, naturally, when you go around picking on things weaker than you are, why, you're nothing but a great big coward. You're right. I am a coward. <laughs> I haven't any courage at all. See, sometimes in our life, we face enemies uh, that we think are tougher than they are. And see, Dorothy on the road encounters an enemy lion at first, okay? He is an enemy. He comes roaring and scaring, and they're all petrified with fear. What I love about that is that the tin man um, has an ax in his hand, but is so scared he can't use it, right? And Dorothy hides behind a tree. I don't know how many times in your walk in your life that you have hid from the enemy because you are afraid that he is more powerful than you. But as soon as that he goes after the dog, as soon as uh, the lion starts to go after someone she loves, she somehow finds her courage and confronts the enemy and finds out that the enemy is indeed a coward himself. See, sometimes we have to be put in a situation where we are emboldened like a lion to stand up to a lion and find out that the enemy in your life is not nearly as strong as what you think that he is. And it, Dorothy didn't have any strength. Dorothy didn't have any powers. She wasn't special. And some of you guys say, well, I'm not strong enough. I'm not good enough. I'm not prayed up enough. I don't read my Bible as much as you guys. And you don't realize that God is not looking for the strongest. He's just looking for somebody to point out that the enemy is a liar and a coward over your life. So the lion starts out this coward enemy lion. Okay? And so we see the picture of what it takes to stop a coward. Stand up to him. The enemy in your life is not as big as what you think it is. And, and the word of God tells us that this is true, that the enemy doesn't have the strength that you think he does. In James 4, 7, he said, Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Did it say strike the devil? Did it say you have to battle with all your might? Did it say that you will have to just stand there and get beaten down till maybe possibly you might win? It just simply says resist him. All Dorothy had to do was resist him, Right? He couldn't handle a little girl slap. Some of you just don't think yourself powerful. You don't believe that the power of God inside you is great. It doesn't take much. It just takes somebody willing to stand in the gap in front of somebody else and say enough is enough, the enemy. See, let me tell you what it takes to be a cowardly lion this morning. I want to show you some examples of how you can be a cowardly lion this morning. So cowardly lions live uh, led by their own voice. So if you live led by your own voice, the voice inside your head, you might be a cowardly lion, okay? Psalms 31:24 says this, Be of good courage, and he shall strengthen your heart, all you who hope in the Lord. Be of good courage, and he shall strengthen your heart, all you who hope in the Lord. So I looked up the word courage to understand what that exactly meant. And the definition of courage is two-part. And the first one is this, the ability to do something that frightens one. So courage is not strength absent from fear. It's strength in the presence of fear. Okay? And the second one is strength in the face of pain or grief. There are times in our life where we are hurting where we are grieving, and we just don't seem to find our strength. So courage is reaching down in those moments and standing when it doesn't seem possible. 
Hebrews 11.1 1 says this. I know I'm going to throw out a lot of scriptures today, but I'm trying to just make that point very quickly. Hebrews 11.1 1 says this. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. So the second way to become a cowardly lion in your life is cowardly lions anticipate their life through the lens of fear and not faith. Let me say that one more time. Cowardly lions anticipate life through the lens of fear, not faith. Here's the interesting thing about spiritual laws. They work both ways, right? I've said that a million times. Every spiritual law works both ways. I'm convinced of that. And so fear and faith uh, tend to operate on the same principle, okay? They operate on anticipation. So anticipation is the level playing field of fear and faith. See, fear and faith both exist in the same place. They exist outside the realm of reality. Okay? They are both nonsensical. And if you talk to somebody that doesn't believe in God, they think you're crazy for having faith. Okay? And if you talk to a believer like me, I think you're crazy for having fear. Because they both do not exist in reality. Fear is based in something you have no control over and have no knowledge of the events. Okay? Uh, I remember watching a movie with Will Smith years ago uh, about some aliens or something that attacked and they found out that they smell or they can see with fear. And as long as you had no fear, you, they were blind to you. Okay, as long as there was no fear, they were completely blind and couldn't see you. And he taught people how to not have fear. He said, fear is irrational. It doesn't exist because what is going to happen to you is not made up yet. Okay, yes, the guy is coming at you with the big axe. And so you are afraid he's going to kill you. But you don't know if he's going to miss. You don't know if it's going to break, right? How many times you watch a movie and, and you know movies, man, they always do this, right? The guy comes and it comes like this and then the hero jumps in and like, slams them out of the way, right? And just, just at the nick of time, there was no hope. They were falling off the building, right? Their hand lets go. And as they begin to fall, the hero reaches over and snatches their hand, right? And you're like, oh, oh, oh. So the fear is ungrounded, right? So if we could learn to live fear-free, it would just be understanding that we actually don't know what's coming yet. We don't know. It doesn't exist in reality. So to have faith is the same principle. So the idea is, what are you anticipating? Are you anticipating that your story, that God is going to show up and save you? Or are you anticipating destruction? Both of them live in the same place. So you've got to make a choice which side you're going to be on if you're going to live outside the rules of reality. Amen? So cowardly lions live frozen because of past emotional pain that dominates their life. Cowardly lions live frozen because of past emotional pain that dominates their life. Let, let me explain it this way. A lot of times we make decisions on whether we move forward in life based on what's happened to us before. So we create narratives. Your body is a biological uh, uh, marvel, okay? And its core nature, the nature of man is survival. Its core, is, it tells itself to self-preserve right? If it sees harm, it warns you that there's harm. So what happens is in life, when you go through life long enough, you get hurt. Wow, that's a revelation, Pastor Ren, right? I didn't know that, right? You get hurt. Stuff happens. People hurt you. And your body, your mind, your emotions, your will starts to form protective mechanisms to protect you from pain to protect you from emotional hurt. And it starts to say, that's bad for us. If you get into a relationship, you will get hurt. If you, if you trust that person, you will get hurt. And you start to push away and create narratives for your life that wall you off and you become a coward. You hide away uh, and you, that's no life at all. 
That's no life. Okay, so here's what's interesting about that. It is, you know, I like science. And so I was reading this article on um, that they did a research study between your brain's chemistry feels emotional pain versus physical pain. And it was really interesting to see this. So they studied people that were under emotional pain versus uh, physical pain. And, and the interesting thing is how they study them. What they did is they put them in a room with a group of people and somebody had a ball, a bunch of adults. Somebody had like a little ball, right? And the person was told to pass it to, uh, to, to the next person. And the next person got the ball and they played with it for a minute and then they gave it to somebody else. But one person in the room wasn't given the ball. So they got left, like four or five of them, and one person got rejected. So they studied, and they found that most adults are like, I don't care if they give me the ball. I don't play with no ball. I ain't no dog, right? But they found that every single participant, no matter whether they thought it was a big deal or not, felt the power of rejection in that moment. And they were hurt personally by the fact that this group of strangers didn't even want to pass them a ball. Okay? And so they studied their emotional uh, brain waves and what happened in their brain. And so what they found was when people feel emotional pain, the same areas of the brain get activated as when people feel physical pain. It's the anterior insula and the anterior cigalette cortex, okay? So those two areas of the brain are what control pain. And it just turns out that uh, our bodies have, are very efficient. We process pain in the same exact center of the brain. So your brain doesn't distinguish between physical pain and emotional pain. And so they went even further to prove this, um, and they started giving the people that experience emotional pain Tylenol, okay, acetaminophen. They were giving them Tylenol to see if it had any effect on them. And they did a study on that, and they found that the people that took Tylenol after their emotional pain felt less emotional pain following that than the people who had not taken Tylenol. Right? And so they said the study wasn't some kind of psychotropical drug study or, or to, try to, get, to, to try to make Tylenol a, a, a medication for emotional health. They weren't saying that. They were just interested in whether or not it was true if those same parts of the brain were controlling and they did match up. So your physical pain that you experience is equal to the emotional pain that you experience. Your body doesn't want you to feel pain. And so it walls itself up and protects itself and creates pathways to resist pain in your life, which ultimately leads you to never experiencing the emotions of love and happiness, comfort, okay? And, and this is true because if you follow emotional pain, you can see that it's true. You, have, you ever been around somebody that you just wanted to scream at, right? And so they studied that if people felt the, the desire to scream and they resisted the desire to scream uh, and just buried it down, they found that they would have pains in their neck and their throats and they would actually develop pain in their body from their necks and their throats, right? And so you've, you've heard of that. Someone is just, what, a pain in the, pain in the neck, right? Um, somebody that had a lot of responsibility and felt overwhelmed by their responsibility, they found that they, uh, they had to shoulder too much, right? You have too much to carry on your shoulders and they had shoulder tension and shoulder pain in their body, right? Somebody that just really just gets on your nerves, what do you say to them? You say, oh man, you just make me sick, right? And you have stomach problems from the people in your life that make you sick. It actually does, right? I, I remember when I was going through the roughest emotional time of my life, you know, over a decade ago when me and Rachel had gone through our marriage problems and we got divorced for two years, I remember telling people, I know 
People say their heart is broken, and I know people say their heart hurts. I did not realize they physically meant it. I did not realize that your heart could hurt. And they found that people that their hearts were wounded began to slouch and slump and stand like this when their hearts were wounded. Not everyone, right? Some people just have some uh, slouching problems. Uh, but their hearts were hurt, and they found that it was a defense mechanism to try to, to, try to protect their heart. And so they began to mimic what they were emotionally feeling. And the pain of their emotions manifested in their body. Isn't that interesting? And so what we find now is that a lot of people that suffer with arthritis in their hands, they're not suffering because they have a poor diet necessarily. That can also be a factor. But it can come from emotional health. In fact, when you are angry, when you are so angry that you want to do what? You want to punch someone in the face, right? And you repress that anger, but don't release the anger. You just bury it. It buries down in the fists that wanted to act. And your body wants to react to that. So arthritis begins to form in your, in your hands. It begins to form. So your body, the sickness in your body, the unhealth in your body can come from deep-seated emotions that have not been dealt with. And being a coward to that is a lie of the enemy that wants to keep you in bondage, in sickness. And that's science. That's not even the Bible. Okay? The Bible backs it up, but that's science. You're killing yourself with your emotional cowardice. The ability to not confront those emotions, deal with them healthy, and get rid of them can keep you in sickness. It can keep you in torment. So we've actually developed a ministry here. We haven't officially launched it because we're still working on the room up there, but it's called Inner Healing, okay? And, and what we've seen is amazing things in the people that have already gone through it. And we have so many testimonies of people that have gone through it. And I won't share all of them, but if you were on Facebook this week and saw Sandra's post, right, it has like 50-something comments the last time I checked. It's amazing, right? She has dealt with pain for the last 12 years. I'll let her tell her story another time unless she wants to come up and tell it. But um, she has dealt with, is it okay if I share it? Oh, she said no. Never mind. All right, so the next, no, she said yes. She's dealt with pain in her body for 12 years. Okay, 12 years. And, and, and let me preface this, okay? We have prayed for her hundreds of times now at this church. Hundreds. We have prayed over her shoulder pain. We've prayed over her diabetes. We've prayed over her pain. We've prayed over, we've watched people getting their breakthrough left and right, and there's Sandra standing there with nothing. okay. Always leaving, always coming up for prayer, but never receiving anything, okay? So it's real when something happens and you've been prayed over a hundred times and nothing happens, okay? So this is not a placebo, it's not a joke, but when she went through inner healing, she came out and the pain began to leave her body. And today she's pain-free pretty much. And the pain began to leave her body because a lot of that pain was probably emotional. When she dealt with the emotions of past trauma and past pain, she was able to let that go and it left her body. The emotional pain that she was standing up left. And I believe in inner healing. That's why we started this process. It is deep-seated prayer. It's an opportunity and a time where you come for deep prayer where you get to kind of dig up the things that have hurt you and let them go, okay? It's not something where you dig them up and you have to go to therapy for 10 years and you're just like all, you know, is anybody in here, like you don't have to raise your hand, but if you've been to therapy before, you know that the, the therapist will usually tell you in the beginning it's gonna get worse before it gets better because he's gonna drag up all your junk. You're gonna get stirred up. I can't breathe. I can't do this today. And I gotta go. In inner healing, we let it stir up and we capture it and we throw it away. And it goes away. 
and it stays away. And we see more and more, every time someone goes through inner healing, we just see more and more miracles and breakthrough of people letting go of the emotional bondage that can, in some cases, actually make them physically ill. And so hundreds of prayers, hundreds of prayers unanswered over her, but now she's pain-free. That's what inner healing can do for you. So we need to start eliminating the things that cause us to be cowards and not step up to what God has called us to do. Here's the reality, is when you live that way, protecting yourself from everything, guess what you never do? You never live out your destiny. You never live out your identity. You never find out who you were created to be. And you always wonder, what kind of lion am I? And you go through your whole life thinking that you are the cowardly lion when God has called you his son and his daughter of the kingdom of heaven. And in him, you become the lion of Judah. And you can be that today, but you got to eliminate the stuff that's holding you back. Philippians 1, 27 through 28, Philippians 1, 27 through 28 says this, eliminate the things that cause you to stumble, the things that have wrong perspective. Only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ so that whether I come to see you or I'm absent, I hear of your affairs and you stand fast in one spirit with one mind striving together for the faith of the gospel and not in any way terrified by your adversaries which is to them a proof of perdition, but to you of salvation and that from God. Let, let me read verse 28 because I, I, I know most of you are like, oh, perdition, yeah, that's my, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I like perdition. Okay, so let me read it to you in the, um, the Passion Translation, just verse 28. It says this, And then you will never be shaken or intimidated by the opposition that rises up against you, for your courage will only prove as a sure sign from God of their coming destruction and that you have found new life. Some of us need to find new life and realize that it is a sign to the enemy that they're destroyed and we are not. They get to fall while we remain unshaken and the ground can shake and trouble can come, but you remain unshaken because courage gives you the ability to push forward. This is what it says. We read that, that uh, scripture a little while ago. Be, be of good courage and he shall strengthen your heart. So when God gives you, when you step out in courage, when you step out in courage, he strengthens your heart. He gives your heart strength when you just take a step. So some of you are waiting for your heart to be strengthened. Some of you are waiting to be bold and then you'll go. What God is saying is go like a chicken and then I'll make you strong. Step out and cluck, cluck all the way over there feeling like a fool and do what God has asked you to do and then I'll make you strong. And we learned last week that the eyes of the heart, the heart has eyes, right? And the heart can see things. So what happens when you step out in boldness and courage? He strengthens the eyes of your spiritual sight. You can see further. So let, let me give you an example, right? I'm at Walmart, you know, and I'm walking around and I'm like, Lord, get, you know, if you want me to talk to someone, or love on someone, or witness to someone, Lord, just point me in the right direction. Just, you know, give me a word for somebody and make it very profound and right, put, a, put a glowy circle above their head with a halo, right? And uh, so that I can see that that's you and then I will approach them with boldness and I will go talk to them and then I look at people and I hear nothing, right? I hear nothing. But you know what happens every time I walk up to somebody, I'm like, oh, yeah, I like that color. Oh, hey, I like your jacket. And I am bold in starting a conversation with someone. Guess what happens? God gives me a word. God lets me speak into their life, right? And I don't realize how profound it is till you're standing at Walmart and someone's bawling on your shoulder. And you're like, I was just trying to get some laundry detergent. Thank you, Jesus, for washing them clean, right? 
It's already cleaned, okay? So you don't know what God is going to do, but when you step out in boldness and you just decide that you're going to boldly love someone, it has nothing to do with the supernatural. When you decide to just boldly love someone, then God will strengthen the vision of your heart and allow you to see his plan and purpose for that person. You, you realize one word can change someone's life forever, right? Uh, here, let, let, me, let me just get real for a second. I talked about pastors can't be real, right? Can I be real for a second? Seriously, if I get an email or a complaint that I'm not perfect, you're a liar. So everyone in here, can I be real for a second? Okay. All right, anybody say no? Okay, speak now or forever, hold your peace. All right, moving on. All right. Okay, here's the reality. If I've ever spoken a prophetic word over you, prayed over you, and you felt the power, or, or, or someone in here, or had a, a word spoken over you that just ministered to your heart, raise your hand. If you've ever just had something that just nailed you, right? So sometimes we feel chicken. We say, well, I can't do what that pastor man can do up there on that platform, that man of God, right? And you realize, like, in order to, be, uh, uh, to live like that, I have to be, uh, uh, you know, uh, anointed uh, man of God. I got to be articulate like that man of God. I got to dress as good as him and look as good as him, and I just can't do it, right? And, and I understand that. I mean, that's, I understand that. Trust me, I get it. I get it. I feel you. So, but I can't do anything about those ones. But what I can tell you is um, it's all a show. It's all a facade, okay? You know what's happening underneath that? When, I, when you walk up to me and I say something crazy like, like the year of your trauma or call what happened to you when you were this age or, or, or uh, tell me about this event that happened in your life and I have no knowledge of that and I do that and I speak over you, right? Um, uh, and some of you in here, you, you may have never been to this church but you know good and well what I'm saying right now, um, and I do that when I'm in a restaurant and the Lord says, speak this over somebody. Um, and I'm like, hey, let me tell you what the Lord says, right? And I say it boldly before the throne, right? Inside, I'm going like this. Just like that, okay? Okay? I'm going, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. I don't want to do, I don't, Lord, Lord, help me, help me. Is that you? Is that me? Is that you? Is that me? Is that you? Is that me? I can't hear anything because I'm screaming at myself, right? And then I'm like, oh, this might sound weird, but the Lord's telling me something for you, right? And I say it and they're like, and I'm waiting, right? And, and then, and then, right, you, and, and you see the boldness of the man of God and he's standing there and he's like, yes, I have given you the word of the Lord. Receive from me, Right? And uh, inside, I'm going like this. There's that 3.2 seconds where you're waiting for the reaction, and they're letting you finish, and their eyes are glassed over, right? And you don't know if they're like, wow, or like, wow. <laughs> I got to go, right? And both has happened to me, okay? Both has happened to me. I've fallen flat on my face plenty of times, okay? But um, in that 3.2 seconds, and I'm like, the Lord says this. And I'm going, please say something, please say something, please say something. I'm so freaked out, right? And so, uh, and then they're like, oh, and the tears come or the wow or the you don't know what that means to me. And then inside I'm like, well, bless you. You know, I say that outside, but inside I'm going, thank you. <laughs> I'm so scared. Ah! <laughs> See, the cowardly lion didn't get a magic thing of courage. He just decided to be scared and step out. He just decided that he loved his friends more than he loved his own safety. He just decided that it wasn't worth it to keep being scared anymore. And see, in the beginning, he seems bold, right? He seems unafraid of anything. But inside, he's just waiting for any opportunity to cower. 
He's waiting for anything to go wrong and he'll give up in a second. See, he didn't have the right motivation. He was trying to convince himself that he was strong instead of just realizing that he was weak and that if he just stepped out, that boldness would take over his life. See, you don't need to realize you're strong. You're not waiting to become strong. You're doing it in your weakness. Like Paul said, I thank God that I am weak so that he can be strong. When you step out like Dorothy in weakness and just decide to be bold, God will give you the strength that you need to accomplish everything your life was set up for. That's how it works. So it's time to rethink the way we think. It's time to renew our minds and let our faith give our heart sight again. So here's the question. What happens if you start running towards God, toward, towards his calling in your life, instead of running away? What happens if instead of running away from what you're afraid of, you ran towards it? Okay, so let me tell you this story. There's a man in the Bible, and not very much is listed about him, but his name is Benaiah. And I'm going to close very shortly. His name is Benaiah. And he's listed in First Chronicles Chapter 11 tells the story of David and his mighty men. How many of you guys know that David was the greatest king? A and he had some men that were mighty. How would you like to be listed as a mighty man? Right? Much better than Mighty Mouse. I'm telling you. Okay? Teenagers are like, huh? Okay? So I want to be listed as David's mighty man. I think that's awesome. Well, David had 30 mighty men. But there was one that he said that was honored above all the other mighty men. And they had done mighty exploits, but there was one that was honored above all the other mighty men. And his name was Benaiah. And it tells about how he defeated two of the greatest Moabite um, uh, enemies that he had faced. The two greatest soldiers of the Moabites, he had conquered both of them. And they had gone on to do all the exploits. And in fact, the entire chapter lifts all the exploits of each of David's mighty men. But it says that this guy, Benaiah, was honored above all the other ones. And instead of being listed as like the top the best three, there's these three that were really the best. He's not listed as a three. What it says is that David made him head over his personal bodyguard. So this guy's job was to protect David. Now, I don't know about you, but I've read the Bible and it doesn't really seem like David needs all that much protecting, right? This dude's the bomb, all right? This guy is a warrior. This dude, when he was a kid, fought lions and tigers and bears, oh my, okay? He really did. Okay, he killed a bear, he killed a lion. This dude was tough, all right? But, but he stands up, to, uh, he stands up to, to anything that faces his way when he's a young man. And he goes on to win a lot of victories and battles. But this Benaiah guy, he appoints him as the head of his personal bodyguard. And, and, and in 1 Chronicles eleven twenty two, 22, it says that about him. It says that he struck down Moab, uh, Moab's two mightiest warriors. He also went down into a pit on a snowy day and killed a lion. So it says he went on to do a lot of things, but it only points out really two big things that he did. He killed the two mightiest warriors, and he also went into a pit on a snowy day and killed a lion. Now, why is that so significant? It doesn't say that the lion chased him until it backed him into a pit, did it? See, Benaiah saw a lion. And much like Dorothy, he... It probably was a lion that was terrorizing his friends and family's flocks, okay? They would come and steal sheep and steal the animals and the goats, and, and they would terrorize uh, them. And so Benaiah was out, and on a snowy day, when it's slick and dangerous and cold, he saw a lion, and he decided to follow that lion to a pit and make sure it could 
torment his friends and his family no more. And see, here's the interesting thing about a pit, is once you get into a pit with a lion, you're not coming out. Only one of you is getting out alive. You don't back yourself in a hole where you don't have the opportunity. You ever turn your back on a lion and try to climb out of a pit? It's not going to end very well for you, okay? So once he climbed out of that pit, Benaiah had committed himself to vanquishing this lion, to stopping this enemy lion from messing with his friends and his family. And I think that that moment was a moment of clarity and destiny for the rest of his life. His identity was sealed that day when he saw a lion go into a pit on a snowy day and decided that he would follow it that way and end its life. He could have easily walked the other way and never confronted that lion but something in him had a moment of destiny that day when he decided to have courage and go face a lion. Humans don't fight lions well, okay? I was looking up videos to try to show you guys some videos. There are none of them that I can show you, right? It does not end well for humans who fight lions without guns, okay? But now he decided to taste that, and he vanquished that lion, and I think that that is why he was the personal bodyguard of David, because I think when David looked at Benaiah, he said, now that's a guy that's like me. That's a guy I can relate to. Come on, you're in the lion club, right? There's a guy who vanquished a lion. That's a guy I can trust to have my back. I don't trust any of these other people. They've never faced anything like that. But this guy, this guy is the kind of guy that goes after a lion. He's got a shepherd's heart. See, you know why, you know why they, they face lions? Shepherds would typically get killed by lions in the wild all the time because those lions would come up and try to steal their flock and, and the shepherd, his job is to protect his flock and swing at that lion and try to drive him away and kill him and, or just at least get him out of there. And so shepherds would routinely get killed by, by wild animals trying to steal one of their flock because that's what a good shepherd does. He puts himself in harm's way to try to help save those that are less strong than he is. And Benaiah made himself in good company when he slayed that lion. And I believe that it altered his destiny. I'm telling you guys that there are lions in your life. There are things that you face and you are so afraid to run towards them. You are so afraid to face them and you don't realize that it is that very moment that unlocks your future. That will give you back the future you have. Stop being afraid of your future. You have to stop. You have to be like Benaiah and face the things in your life you are afraid of. Let, let me say it this way. You will never be able to complete your calling until you trade your cowardice for courage and take steps forward. Your future may be a mountain, but your future is waiting for you on the other side of fear. So let me ask you this. What are you afraid of? Your answer should be nothing because the God of heaven and earth who gave you a spirit of not fear, but of power, of love and sound mind. And in him, you have the power to overcome everything that you are afraid of. So use that power. You need to roar. You need to roar louder than your fear, louder than the enemy's roar. You need to yell and you need to roar louder than your frustrations. You need to roar louder than your depression. You need to roar louder than the enemy's roar that's stealing your courage from you. You need to roar, church. You need to roar, church. Somebody roar. That's not enough. We're going to roar today. Listen to me. Roar when you pray. 
Roar when you praise. Roar like it actually matters to God because his strength is in you when you roar. Not because you're strong, because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. And the enemy is a liar and a coward and the lion of Judah is inside you. You have the ability to roar. You have the ability to roar, church. He's the lion of Judah. Jesus is the biggest lion on the block. And all you have to do is let him out. All you have to do is let him in. All you have to do is set him free. All you have to do is let him take control of your life. It's not your own strength. It's letting him be strong for you. It's accepting the fact that, you know what? I can't do anything. I'm a human flesh bag. And any line could rip me apart. But if I am following God, if I am pressing forward to what he has asked me to do, then not even a lion in a pit on a snowy day can stop me. It doesn't mean you go chasing the lions that don't belong to you. It doesn't mean you just go start doing crazy weird things, okay? What I'm saying is, if it's your lion, you face it. If God asks you to do it, you face it. You can't be a lion and not cross the chicken line because you'll stay a chicken. But there's a roar inside you that is just on the other side of the chicken line. It's where you change from prey to predator and you start doing damage against the things that would assault your life. What I'm saying is that you need to come boldly before the throne of God. When you pray, you pray bold. When you praise, you praise bold. Some of us are cowards when it comes to letting Jesus be the line of Judah and loosed in our everyday life. We're scared to share our faith. We're scared to pray for people. We're scared to invite them to church. Shoot, half of you guys, when I talk to you, are afraid to praise God the way that's in you, in the midst of other Christians. You're afraid to let go and praise God the way he's asked you to. I know. Let me tell you this. If you can't live boldly in here, you will never live boldly out there. This is your proving ground. This is the testing place. This is your safe space. This is the place where you get to come and be bold with people that will support and lift you up and encourage you to live boldly and to give it a shot and to try to live out loud for God. And then when you go out there, you can see it happen for real. I used to be one of those scared people. I used to be afraid. People would come up and ask for prayer for healing and I'm like, oh, I don't know, right? I don't know about all that. I mean, sometimes God heals, I don't know. Um, I made a decision that I was gonna live boldly and unashamed. If the word of God said it, I was just gonna believe it. I was just gonna believe it. You can call me weird, kooky, strange. You say I'm over the top, but I don't wanna serve your dead God. I am not interested in playing church. I do not care about showing up so I can show off. I care about showing up so he can show off. And if he doesn't show off, I'm out. I'm out. I'm interested in lives being changed. 
Oh, I can convince you. I can stir it up. I can cause your heart to pound and go, yeah, yeah, I want some of those. And five minutes later, you walk out the door and forgot what I said completely. You might not remember it next week, what I said, but you remember meeting him at this altar. You remember meeting him when someone prayed for you. You remember meeting him when he stirred you to life, when a living God meets you where you are. Stop being a coward. It's not worth it to live that way and never experience true freedom and never realize your destiny. I had two women today come up here and get rid of their cowardice and step boldly into what they were called to do. Some of you are called to do things and it's waiting for you on the other side of your ear. I don't know what that is. I'm not saying ministry. I'm saying whatever it is. Don't be held back by fear because all you will do is live a life of regret. Let me just say it this way. When I was younger, I wanted to be a musician very badly and I would try over and over again to put together a band. And every time someone would play with me, they'd go, cool, cool. And i go, what do you think? You know, yeah, you're really good. You should join the band. And they go, ah, it's not really for me. Like, this isn't my fit. And I tried for like two years and I couldn't put together a band. I couldn't. And I got very discouraged and I wanted to give up. And I thought to myself, man, am I one of those people, you know, that think they're really good and then they really, really suck and you know, everyone's just nice, right? I don't want to tell him, right? You know, one of those that, you know, mama thinks you can do no wrong, so she tells me I'm wonderful and everyone else just laughs. And, and I really, I mean, I really was at that point. And so I just made a bold declaration. I said, I would rather live a life of failure than a life of regret. I would rather try and fail and know where I stand than wonder what would have happened if I tried. So I just made that decision. So packed up my suitcase and I went to American Idol and tried it out there. Yeah. And uh, I got through the first round and got to the second round and, uh, well, you didn't see me on TV, so. Didn't work out, right? So I failed. So as I drove home, I said, you know what? Not good with that. So I picked up the phone. I said, you know what? I'm going bold. I, that one failure is not enough to make me go, well, I tried, right? I, I need to drive this failure into the ground so it never comes up again and haunts me. So I decided, let's, go, let's just go crazy. So I picked up the phone and I called two studios that um, I liked, that did music albums for, or two producers that did music albums for bands I liked at the time, The Sound. P.O.D., if you follow Christian music back then, and uh, Evanescence. So I called both those two studios and I tried to get the producer. Evanescence Studio never called me back, but POD Studio called me back. And so when POD Studio called me back, I talked to the producer and the producer uh, said, well, you know, send me something, a recording so I can listen to it and see if we're interested in your project. And I said, well, I don't have a recording because that's why I need you, right? And he's like, man, just do something on a computer for me, like anything, just on a computer mic. I need to hear something. And I said, okay. So I sent him a couple samples of songs I'd written. I played on the acoustic and sang into literally a computer mic. The, you know, the kind that has a circle like this and a big boom that came up. Like literally one of those. Uh, terrible. And I sent it to him. And he called me back in an hour after I sent it. And he says, I won't use the phrase he used, but he said, I love your voice. I want your project. He goes, I want to do this project. And he said this. And he said, here's the deal. If you want to come out in the next three weeks, this was in California. He said, if you want to come out to California in the next three weeks, I'll get you in the studio with studio musicians and we will record your album. He says, but if you'll give me a couple of months, I'll bring rock stars in the studio. 
real rock stars, and I'll have them do your album. I can wait. So I showed up at the studio, and originally Anthrax, Anthrax drummer was supposed to be my drummer, okay? So if you're a metalhead, you get that. Um, and I was excited. This real legendary guy is going to show up. I get there. He's not there. And so uh, there's another drummer there, and I said, what happened to him? He goes, oh, man, he's got the flu really bad. He couldn't make it. Uh, so we had to get this other uh, drummer to replace him. So I'm like, oh, I'm disappointed. Uh, Eric Clapton's violinist is supposed to be coming in. We got to arrange that. So like all these cool stuff. And, and so... I'm disappointed. We get to day two of the recording, and the engineer that's running it stops me while we're listening to the track, and the drummer's playing. He goes, man, I don't know how you got him. How did you, how did you get Scott Underwood here to play drums for you? And I was like, I, am I supposed to know him? And he's like, yeah, he's, he's the drummer for Train. And I said, am I supposed to know them? I, I, I don't know, right? And he goes, uh, drops of Jupiter running in my head, hey, hey, and I just turned white. Because just a few minutes before, he'd asked me if the drum part was good, and I looked at him and said, yeah, yeah, no, it's pretty good. I mean, I like the way it sounded, mostly because you're sexy, but I like the way it sounds. <laughs> so the blood rushed out of my face when I realized I just called the drummer for train sexy. Uh, but here's how that story ends. So we get done with the session that day, right? I'm terrified. Now that I realize, I thought I was just in there with studio musicians, and now I realize I am, I am sitting with a rock star legend who is on a break from his world tour and decided to come in the studio that day for me, okay? And I'm a guy that couldn't put together a band. So, he, so we go to get lunch, and, and there's a Starbucks there, and he's like, oh, I want to get a Starbucks. And I'm like, what's the Starbucks? This is before they had him here, okay? What's well, a Starbucks? And... Um, He's like, you've never had a Starbucks? And I'm like, no. And he's like, oh, I'm taking you to get a Starbucks. So here's Scott Underwear, the drummer for Train, buying me a Starbucks, right? My first uh, caramel mocha, fra uh, caramel uh, macchiato. My very first caramel macchiato gets bought to me by this drummer for Train. And we're sitting there, and I asked him, I said, when was the day that you knew? Like, you re like it clicked for you that you were a rock star. Like, it wasn't just you did music professionally. And he said, I was sitting on the beach in Spain. And I'm sitting there drinking a Mai Tai or something like that. And he goes, I'm sitting there. It's got one of those little umbrellas. And I'm lounging back on this beach in Spain. And I'm like, oh, I'm so grateful we have this day off from our world tour that I can relax on the beach. And he goes, I'm, I'm on a beach in Spain taking a day off from my world tour. I'm on a beach in Spain taking a day off from my world tour. Oh, my gosh. You know, and he said that was the day it just all hit him. And he remembered it like a brick. And he goes, well, so he goes, well, tell me your story. Like, how, how did I get in the studio with you today? So I, I told him my story. And his eyes are getting bigger and bigger, and his mouth is getting more and more open. And he looks at me, and he says, how did you get me here? And he goes, you know I shouldn't be here, right? And I'm like, yeah, I know. He goes, Dude, how, and you see the smile come into his face. He's like, how did you even get me here? He goes, you know, and he tells me, he goes, you know, my wife wakes up in the morning singing your songs because they're stuck in my head all night. And uh, he goes, how did you get me here? And I said, God. And he goes, God? And I said, God. And he goes, God, huh? 
And I said, you explain it to me why you're here if it wasn't God. And he goes, man, I can't. He goes, I'm really excited to do your project. He says, I'm, wow. He's still my friend. So that's not a shameless plug for my album back there. Uh, it's just not. I never talk about this. I just felt the really need to talk about it today for some reason. Um, but I got to witness to somebody that was way outside my class, way outside my status. I got to witness to somebody who uh, before that I was content to stand in the same room as them and see them from a distance and think, wow, I saw them with my own two eyes. Most of us live lives where we are content seeing something with our own two eyes and saying, well, I saw it. I'm not content with seeing it. I want a relationship, okay? So I didn't see Train in concert. I didn't see him playing the drums. I have a relationship with him. And when you have a relationship with God, and God says, how did you get me here? And he says, because I loved you and I died for you. See, here's the difference. Scott Underwood was excited. This drummer was excited that I got to have a relationship with him. Jesus is excited to have a relationship with you. He is excited that you allow him. See, to Jesus, you're the rock star that he's longing to have a relationship. He is desperate to get into your life and know you. He is waiting on you to let him have a moment of your life. He's tired of standing back, watching you from a distance, being proud and excited to see you and never knowing you. And never knowing you. Better than any rock star is the King of Kings. Bow your heads with me. Father God, stir our hearts towards you. Let us know you, God, in an intimate and real way. Let us find the courage to live boldly and unashamed for you because we never know who needs to hear about you.